I want to begin uh, with a, a thought about this, um, going real big picture this morning. What, what's your legacy going to be when you leave this world and you go on to the next? Um, what, what will last? What will remain behind you when you're gone? Something that's it's probably at the, at the back of all of our minds. It kind of, it's a motivator that pushes us forward to do things, uh, yet it's not something we sit and ponder kind of on a daily basis. But what are the things that we're investing in that are really going to last, that are going to make a difference well beyond uh, our time here on the earth? Uh, you know, amassing wealth and accomplishments and, and all these things. Uh, if we go back just a couple generations, we can't really name the prominent people of society. We don't really know many of the celebrities that were, that were so popular back then. Uh, if I were to pull out a, a list of the richest people on earth from 1920, we probably don't know any of them, or maybe just a few. And so all these things, uh, as far as like uh, achieving an earthly legacy may be of some value, but as far as an eternal lasting value, have very limited uh, value. And so as we think about this, when we first come to, to the gospel, we first are impacted by it. Our first thought is like, wow, I'm outside of salvation. I, I'm going to be separated forever from a God uh, who created me and who has the right to judge me. And so our first thought and our initial reaction is to move towards salvation, right? Like the, when we hear the gospel, it's the gospel of salvation. Uh, but we recognize that, it, that it, it's so much more and so much broader. It certainly is that. That's an important and powerful aspect of it. But that's not all that the gospel is. The gospel is the power for all of life. And so once we receive salvation, once we move into a state where we are at a right relationship with God because of what Jesus has done for us, then our thoughts begin to think towards, okay, well, what's my purpose now? What's, why is he keeping me here on earth? What, what is it that God would desire for me to do with the time that I've been given? And so as we think about that, and as we look at our passage today, uh, we want to look at Paul as like an incredible example. There was very few people who've ever walked the face of the earth who did more with the time that they were given than the Apostle Paul. And so I think that there's some really powerful principles in what he did uh, in this section uh, that apply to us here today, living our lives in Willow Grove or Horsham or Abington or Warrington or wherever you're residing, uh, that you have an opportunity in your daily life to apply these same principles and to, and to live a life of meaning and value and legacy that will last beyond uh, just the few short years that you have here. So with that kind of big picture, I know we're not going too heavy today, right? We're just kind of keeping it light. Uh, but with that big picture in mind, let's turn to Acts chapter 14. We're going to begin in verse 8. And uh, let me pray. I just ask the Holy Spirit to, uh, to lead and guide us in our, in our study this morning. Father, I thank you for, uh, for bringing us here. I thank you for drawing us into your presence this morning, giving us the opportunity to seek you and uh, to come to your word, God. I thank you for the incredible gift of your word that, that in this we have truth and we have a picture of who you are and what you desire for us. And we're just so grateful for it. We're grateful that we get the opportunity, the privilege of studying it and learning. Uh, so help us to learn today, God, but not just in a head knowledge. Help us to, to bring it into our heart and move it out to our hands, that it would, it would change the way that we live our daily life. It would change the way that we think about things. It would change the way that we do things. Uh, and we would be crafted and shaped into your image. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so in Acts chapter 14, we're picking up in verse 8, and it says this. Uh, now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and he began walking. What? 
Is that what your Bible says? Does your Bible say that a guy who had never walked in his whole life did it sprang up? Sometimes when we come to the Bible, we just get so used to like just reading it. Yeah, and then this happened. And they did this miracle. This guy got from the dead. What am I, God, what are you trying to show me, right? Sometimes we need to just stand in all of the Bible. Like that's amazing, right? It's really incredible that this guy who had never walked and probably had wrestled his whole life with like, God, why was I born this way? What, what, at one point, the disciples saw someone in a similar state and they said, hey, was, was it his sin or was it his parents' sin? Why was he born this way? And this guy's probably been wrestling this his whole life. He's like, God, why, why was I born with this deficiency? Why was I not like everybody else? Why do I have to struggle when other people can find this easy to do? And he's struggling, and suddenly this guy Paul comes to town and begins to tell him about this man, Jesus. And he's listening intently, and Paul looks at him, and he heals him. And I love Luke's description. Luke is the one writing the book of Acts. Luke was a doctor, we know. And, uh, and so he has a very analytical mind when he looks at it. And so listen to, look at the first couple of sentences here. Now, last year there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. It's very matter-of-fact, it's very direct that, that Luke's not getting caught up in the moment or, or everything. He's, he's approaching analytically and he's saying, hey, listen, this wasn't a guy who was just kind of sitting down too long and his foot fell asleep, right? This is a guy who could not walk. Like, as a medical doctor, it's my uh, professional opinion that this man had no ability to walk, and yet he was healed by Jesus Christ, and then he was able to walk. And so the first thing that we see here that Paul did is Paul went and proclaimed the gospel. It's so simple, right? It's, it's the basics, but if Paul wouldn't have been in the city that day proclaiming the gospel, this man never would have heard it, never would have responded, and never would have been healed. And so in this amazing way, the God of the universe sends us out on mission to proclaim his truth to the people around us. He could send angels. He could write it in the sky. He could, he could do crazy things, right? And in the Bible, we see that hands of flame, you know, writing on the wall. And we see all kinds of amazing ways that God speaks. But the most powerful and profound way that, that over history and throughout time that he's done it is through his people going and proclaiming the truth. There's a couple elements involved in this healing here. One is, is Paul's faithfulness in proclaiming the gospel. The other is that this guy listened. He had open ears, right? He was attentive to the gospel. That I'm sure that in a big crowd like that, that, that sometimes a crowd just attracts a crowd. Have you guys ever seen this? Have you experienced this? You see a bunch of people, and you're like, hey, what are those guys looking at? And then after a while, you're like, I'm not really sure what was happening. That happened to us at the beach this summer. A bunch of people gathered around, like somebody who had just come out of the water, and we're all like, what is it? What? Shark attack, you know, whatever. And it's here, a kid had like a little miniature crab. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's like 40 people like going to see what was going on. Right? Sometimes a crowd just draws in. And so it's, it's, this is real, right? It's not like they were all sitting attentively like you guys are this morning listening to Paul. He was in a town square somewhere. He was speaking. A crowd was gathering. A lot of people were just kind of doing whatever. But this man was listening. And he was, he was absorbing and he was believing. It says that he had faith, that he heard what Paul was saying about Jesus and he believed it to be true. He had a faith that would lead to, uh, to salvation but, but to healing. And Paul was sent to preach. Listen to what Paul says in the book of Acts. Uh, or I'm sorry, in the book of uh, Romans. This is the book of Acts. In Romans 10, uh, in verse 14, he says, How then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord... Who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So Paul was faithful in just proclaiming Jesus to anyone who would listen. And in this crowd, this man was listening. 
And then Paul did this. He looked intently for the spirit at work. Paul wasn't focused on this guy over here who was trying to sell a fish to this guy or a couple guys over here that are like trying to do a business property exchange or, or anything else that was going on. Paul looked and he said, God, where are you at work? Whose heart are you working? And all of a sudden he just locked eyes with this guy sitting in the back of the crowd. Never walked in his life, but Paul could see in that moment the Holy Spirit revealed to him that this man had faith to be saved, uh, to, be, to be healed. And so with insight from the Holy Spirit, he made this bold proclamation. Um, he says, stand upright on your feet. And so the final piece of this puzzle was that the man heard this proclamation. He could have been like, oh, I'm going to make a fool of myself. I've never stood in my life. Do you know what you're asking me to do? Do you know? He didn't do any of that. He just stood upright, and he leaped for joy, and he ran around, right? So, so there's this incredible interplay that happens between this man and his faith in Jesus Christ and Paul proclaiming it. And what we want to see here is that there's not like a formula for healing, right? This is not one of these things where you come in and be like, okay, I want healing. What's the magic trick? What's the sequence of events that I can do to get God uh, to give me what I want? right? We know that Paul tells us in his letters that he had a thorn in his side, some, something he doesn't elaborate on with the detail, but three times he prayed for God to remove it, and God would not remove it, because he says, in your weakness, you'll see my strength. So sometimes, uh, God's plans are, are different and higher. They're always higher. They're always better, uh, and quite often they're different than what we would desire, what we would want to see. Um, but I can tell you this, without faith, healing's not possible. <laughs> and so you go into it with faith, you believe that God can heal, that he has the ability to heal, that he loves you deeply, and then you just leave it in his hands and entrust it to him. We had an experience several years ago. Uh, our middle daughter, Eloise, when she was a baby, she was just learning how to roll over, and, and her big sister, Emma, wanting to be a helpful big sister, decided to help her roll over. And so she's trying to help her roll over, and suddenly her arm got twisted and pinched in a weird way, and she just starts screaming and crying, and I was at work. Trina was home with the girls, and she goes over, and she picks her up, and she just won't stop crying, and so she's holding her and holding her, and finally she, like, cries herself to sleep. She's just in so much pain that she just cries it out, and so we're like, okay, maybe she'll be all right when she wakes up. She woke up, and she just started crying again. As soon as she woke up, she woke up screaming, and so we're like, all right, we're gonna have to take her to the ER, and so we're driving to the ER, and Emma's in the back seat. She's, like, six, seven years old at this point, and she's just blaming herself. like, oh, I can't believe I did this. I feel so terrible. I, this is horrible. And I was just like, Emma, listen, there's nothing you can do <laughs> at this point. What's, what happened, it was an honest mistake. It was an accident. Uh, your uh, worry, your fear, your doubts, like none of that is going to help in this situation. The only thing we can do is put it into God's hands and, and, just, and just believe that, that he's in control. And I was like, do you want to pray? And she's like, yeah. And so driving down 611, going down through Willow Grove, through that crazy intersection before they fixed it up and put all that nice stuff in there. <laughs> this one was a little more ghetto back then. We're driving right through that intersection, hitting the potholes. And uh, we just said a simple prayer, like, God, uh, this is, you know, Eloise is in your hands. We know you love her. Uh, we pray and ask for healing. We believe that you can heal her. And, um, and Trina, you have to verify with her, <laughs> but she saw something like change in her face in that moment. And so we got to the ER and she wasn't screaming quite as much, and, uh, but she still didn't want anybody to touch it. She was very tender and stuff, but over the course of about 30, 45 minutes, by the time a doctor actually got to the point of seeing us, she was like doing high fives, jumping jacks. She was, she was going around. Now, now, we could explain this away, right, and say, well, her shoulder got dislocated and it popped back into joint when you hit that pothole in 611, right? Or, uh, we could find ways to rationalize out of it, but, but here's what I know. I know that we prayed in faith knowing that God can heal, and whether he heals via doctor or pothole or miraculous intervention— that we serve a God who can heal. 
if we're looking for it, if we're looking for the spiritual word. Let's continue on. Verse 11, it says, When the crowd saw that Paul, what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priests of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer a sacrifice with the crowd. So the crowds, just like us, when we read it in the Bible, were amazed this morning. They're like, what? Like, we've seen that guy for years. He's been there. He can't walk. And yet, here he is walking. And so they see this incredible miracle of God, and they immediately completely misapply it, right? And they start going crazy. And so Paul and Barnabas were there, and they didn't speak the, the local dialect. And so they see people just kind of going nuts, and, and they're probably like looking at each other like, man, yeah, this is awesome. Like, the people are responding. They're high-fiving like, yeah, this is great. Like, wow, thank you, Lord. Look at this response. Things are going really well, and then all of a sudden, the chief uh, priest from Zeus's temple comes down with an ox. He's ready to, like, slit the throat. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you guys doing? <laughs> what are you doing? See, here in this local area, there is this legend that locally, that at one time, Zeus and Hermes had taken on the form of men and had come and visited that region and had performed miracles. And so, when they saw this miracle of God, they applied it to their limited understanding of, of spiritual things, and they said, all right, here's, here's men doing what men couldn't possibly do, so this must be uh, Zeus and Hermes are back to visit again to do these amazing miracles. And so, they took what they thought they understood from God, and they misapplied it and took it to the wrong place. They saw something supernatural, and they applied it through the only lens that they knew. I'll experience this sometimes when I'm sharing the gospel with people, um, They'll come in, and, and we'll sit down, and we'll talk, and talk about needs that they have or whatever's going on, whatever brought them in, and ultimately, I'll steer it towards the gospel. And so many times, I'll, 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 I'll try as clearly as I can to lay out, right? Like, creator God, rebellious man, uh, Jesus as our substitute, as our sacrifice, uh, so that we can receive uh, his reward through repentance, right? Like, I go through it, and they'll be like, yeah. My grandmother was Greek Orthodox, and she used to take us on these picnics, and we would go out on the, and like they would, you know, they took the thing that I was saying about God and his spiritual truth, and they would apply it through the only lens that they could, uh, their, their only touchstone was their spiritual grandmother, who they kind of have these vague memories of going off. And, and, and so, so many times when we think that we're speaking so clearly, people are hearing what we're saying, and then they're taking it and just applying it into a completely different lens. They're, they're putting it through their filter. And so that's where speaking clearly, speaking directly, speaking openly, speaking often is so important in communicating the gospel. And the ironic thing is that they basically got it right. Wrong guys, but the right fact uh, that the God um, had come down, um, but not the God's. God himself, the, the creator of the universe, had come down, not in the likeness of man, but as a man. And so they had the right idea. They were actually pretty close. They were in the ballpark, uh, but they had applied it to the wrong men. They had, they had the wrong understanding of what was going on. And so, uh, so let's see how Paul and Barnabas respond to this. Verse 14, but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments. They rushed out into the crowd crying out, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, and yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people 
from offering a sacrifice to them. Paul and Barnabas were unwilling for one second to take the glory that belonged to God. They just wouldn't do it. They weren't even remotely interested in it. How many times in a movie do we see, um, like, Johnny Depp or whatever, they, they stumble into this island, there's all these natives, they think that they're a god, and they're like, yeah, let's run with this for a little bit, right? And so they sit in the throne, they bring them the food, and they're like, yeah, this is, this is awesome, right? Paul and Barnabas were having none of it. They didn't say, hey, how can we use this to our advantage? They think we're gods. Like, we could really, we could really proclaim the gospel now that they think we're gods. No, they would have none of it. They said, we are men just like you. Now, it's fascinating to contrast this uh, with, a, with, with an account that we heard just back in Acts 12, the last sermon series that we did on Acts. I'll throw it up on the screen here for you. Um, but this was related to Herod. In a similar situation, let's see how it played out for Herod. It says, Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain. They asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give the God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Pretty serious, right? Like God doesn't mess around with his glory. Um, now, I don't know if you've ever done something and had somebody else take credit for you. Has anybody ever been in that thing where you did something you had? Yeah, a few people. Nodding, nobody's raising their hand. This was like my symbol, like if you've done that, raise your hand, but that's all right. No problem. I'll come up with a new symbol for the second service. <laughs> so we feel horrible when that happens, right? Because somebody has stolen our glory, right? Something that we, we deserve the credit, we deserved it, and we're angry, we're jealous uh, because they took something that didn't belong to them. Uh, with God, it's so much deeper than that. It, it, it comes from his love for us. that He doesn't want us to take his glory because we can't handle his glory, we can't handle being the God in someone else's life. We can't bear the weight of being their Savior. We can't bear the weight of being the one that they look to and depend solely on for their, for their hope, for their future, for their existence. We're not capable of handling that, and God knows that. And so in his love and his mercy, he doesn't want us to take something that we can't handle. We can't bear the weight of it. And so let me ask you this morning, are you unwilling to steal God's glory? Now, you might say, Ezra, it's not a problem. I don't plan on healing anybody <laughs> this week. I, I, I don't really think that I have the power to do that, so it shouldn't be a big problem. But the reality is, is that we do this all the time in subtle ways. Uh, when somebody compliments our appearance or compliments our intelligence or compliments our good work or even the good work that we do for the church, uh, out of the, the, the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? And so, uh, so I'm not saying that, like, if somebody comes up to me today and says, Ezra, good job on the sermon, that I shouldn't say, uh, hey, hey, no, no, that was Jesus preaching. I wasn't even there. <laughs> I was, like, his puppet on the You know what I mean? Like, you don't have to create it into this awkward scenario where you never want to uh, appreciate with someone what God is doing through you. But rather, you want to make sure that in your heart that you're ready and prepared to give God the glory and, and seeking out an opportunity to do that for him. And so, so if someone compliments, um, uh, I mean, this is part of our whole philosophy with what we do when we go out in the community and we help people. Uh, we don't want people to, you know, if we give somebody a meal, we don't want, and they say thank you, we don't want to say, oh, it was nothing, no big deal. You do the same for me, right? That's not the reason why we did it. That's our opportunity to say, no, it, it, Jesus was so generous with me. He's blessed me. He's given me uh, food and drink that has no end, that I'm sustained by him. And so this is a picture of that. Now, you might not say it exactly like me, right? <laughs> 
But the opportunity is there to give God the glory for what we're doing in our lives. And so I just wonder this week if there's any time where, where maybe you were taking glory that didn't belong to you. Or maybe seeking glory that didn't belong to you. Maybe you're here today and you're really upset because a person, a coworker, a boss, your spouse is not admiring you the way you feel you desire, deserve to be admired. Maybe you're just bent out of shape because somebody didn't praise you this week and you felt like you deserved praise. And hey, from an earthly standpoint, maybe you deserved some praise. It might have been true. But the more that we take our, our hope and our purpose and our identity and our meaning from God, the less that we need it from other people, the less that we care about our own glory and the more that we care about his glory. I had an opportunity the, this past week. Uh, we were down in Charlotte for a conference and uh, decided to do a side trip over to the Billy Graham uh, Library. Uh, I grew up a little bit after Billy Graham time, and so he wasn't like a major pivotal figure. I mean, I knew him, had respect for him, but didn't know everything about him. And so walking through the museum and the library and, and hearing the story and seeing everything, I was amazed by a couple things. Um, but I want to show you a quote. Uh, I took a, a picture that they had there. This is what Billy Graham said, and this is the most, like, uh, inarguably has preached the gospel to more people in the world than anyone in the history of the world, right? He says this, the secret is not me. So many people think that somehow I carry a revival around in a suitcase and they just announce me and something happens, but that's not true. This is the work of God. And the Bible warns that God will not share his glory with another. All the publicity that we receive sometimes frightens me because I feel that therein lies a great danger. If God should take his hand off of me, I would have no more spiritual power. The whole secret of the success of our meetings is spiritual. It's God answering prayer. I cannot take credit for any of it. What a great example, right, of how we want to live our lives. And, and here's the amazing thing. He accomplished incredible things. And as you go through uh, the museum, you realize he was born, it was like right place, right time. God placed him. He was a charismatic speaker. Uh, he embraced the media. He would speak with anyone that would interview him. He had a big vision. He got married to an incredible woman who, who had a history of being in missions in China, and so it gave him a global. So you can look at all these things that led to him doing these incredible things, but the reality is, is that to do something incredible like that, to do something amazing, it takes a really humble person, right, uh, to do that kind of greatness because otherwise, as they start to become successful, they're going to take it upon themselves, and they're going to believe it was them and that they were the reason that it happened. And so I encourage you today, aspire for great things. Aspire for God to do amazing, incredible, life-changing, earth-shattering things through you, but aspire to do it in such a way that he gets all the glory. If you don't want to ever steal God's glory, it's, it's simple. Just don't ever do anything, right? <laughs> don't do anything praiseworthy. Then there's no risk of God ever uh, uh, not getting glory and you stealing it from him, right? But that's not how we want to live. We don't want to live with with nothing. We want to make an impact. We want to leave a legacy. We want to, to leave the world in a different place, and we recognize that that happens spiritually, and so aspire to do great things for God, but commit to give him all the glory. The last thing that I'll point out here about, about Paul and Barnabas and what they did is that uh, they came into a culture much like our own that has lost connection uh, with the God of the Bible, right? And so he couldn't come and say, hey, the, the prophet Isaiah said this, and the prophet Jeremiah said this, and, uh, and now this is fulfilled in Jesus. That, that wouldn't mean anything to them. They didn't, have those, they, they didn't know those prophets. They didn't study them. They didn't know uh, their word didn't carry value with them. And so he came to the things that they could understand. He said this. He said, God's the creator. You look around at this world, you see creation. It points to a creator. That is God. Not a bunch of little deities. One great, all-powerful deity. And he's a living God. He's not dead. 
He's not distant. He's not an absentee landlord. He's living and active in our lives. Beyond that, he's a good God. So the creator God is good. He gives us rain. He gives us blessings. He gives us food. He gives us fruitful seasons. He gives us satisfaction with gladness. And so he looked at him and said, hey, you guys saw something amazing happen, and you wanted to sacrifice to a God. That's good. It's good that you recognize that you need to have a right relationship with the God who calls this to happen, but, but you're misdirecting your energies. You're directing it at the wrong thing. And so when we go out into our communities, to our neighbors, to our friends, to our coworkers, to our family, and we see what they're striving for in life, we've got to be able to make the bridge between what they really want at the deepest level and the God who can provide it. We've been given that good news, and we get the joy of sharing it with others. And so they might be seeking spirituality through meditation or going to a psychic to try and, the, try and find the future or, or, or through some other method or means, or they might be seeking to fulfill themselves through accomplishment, uh, through, oh, man, if we just have a baby, that'll make us happy. If we just buy a house, that'll make us happy. If, we just, if I just could make 10% more than what I'm making right now, then I would be happy, right? But we've all experienced that. Those things do uh, bring some joy, but not lasting joy, not the kind of joy that a relationship with Jesus brings because that relationship is founded on finished work. It's done. There's not going to be a Jesus 2.0, right? (laughs) A Jesus 6S is not coming out next month, right? There was one Jesus. He came. He died for our sins. He rose from the grave, and the work is finished, and we can rely on that fully. And so I want to encourage you today that Sometimes we wonder why God doesn't just do miracles like this today, right? Why doesn't God just heal people like that? Why doesn't, uh, and, and, and throughout the world, he does do those things, but, but not all the time, right? And so sometimes we're like, man, God, why don't you just put on the light show so that people will be drawn to you? But we saw really clearly here that the light show doesn't bring people salvation. It gets their attention. It stirs them up. But only the gospel brings salvation. The greatest miracle that we could ever have is available to us now today, and so So we should be in two categories here today, either celebrating with joy that we have been recipients of the greatest miracle that we could ever receive, a restored relationship with our Creator through Jesus Christ, or we should be desperately seeking to grab a hold of it at any cost in whatever way we can. It's my prayer that that if you haven't received restoration, received fullness, received completion through a relationship with Jesus Christ, that today would be the day that you would respond, that you would put your faith in Christ so that you could receive healing, possibly physical healing, but most assuredly spiritual healing, a restored relationship with your creator God who loves you and wants to welcome you into his kingdom. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, I thank you that you've given us this opportunity to come and to study your word, to draw near to you today. Thank you that you are a God who heals, who does miracles, and you've done the greatest miracle, and we get the joy of proclaiming that. If there's any areas in our life, Lord, where we are uh, stealing your glory or seeking glory um, that belongs to you, I pray that you would convict us of it and we would repent. We would come before you and ask for forgiveness and that we would live our lives in a way that glorifies you and you alone. I pray that we would aspire to do great things, great, great things, for your name, for your glory.